1: You're
0: listening to Akden Lawal, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin, Accept no solitude Huge welcome, dear listeners, to an experimental new direction for Akden Lawal. Joining me on this, experiment, this experimental trip, I'm going to call this, is the one and only Ryan Loftus, the only man for the job, I thought. Welcome to the show, Ryan.
1: Good evening, Nick. Um, you know you're getting a taste for pushing the form now, aren't you? You uh, yeah. you, know, you had a taste of it during lockdown, so now you just <laughs> you've got it. You've got it in your in your bones, and you have got to keep pushing it.
0: Where we go, Ryan, other podcasts follow, mate. So <laughs> this is a new a new. I, I had the idea, listeners, whilst um, lockdown was on. I, I, I subscribed to a a sports news newsletter so to speak which sends through various articles that I found interesting um, relating to what what should we call it Ryan the sports business I suppose you'd call it it's the it's it's big sport in the, in a kind of wider sense than just our own dear little Millwall isn't it it's it's, it's uh, looking on the grander stage than just our own parochial interests down Zamper road.
1: Yes the, the the sort of sports coverage that you know, the age of the Premier League has brought with it, I guess, you know, the, the business side of it, the legal side of it, Um, the financial side of it as well, I guess, which is, you know, I can't imagine many people would have taken an interest, you know, 10, 20 years ago even. But now it's, especially in these times, it's really at the forefront.
0: Yeah, I, I read a book not that long ago. I think it was when this was all beginning. It was post um, Premier League. and But just when the Premier League started to become this kind of... um Global business rather than just a, a purely english um, you know super league so to speak and it was it was a kind of a moaning mini um, book uh, bemoaning the fact that um, many fans in modern day sports but football obviously is our, our particular choice here but they they kind of um elevate the financial side it's like a financial league table and, and a, it was posing the question yeah. which which kid grows up um worshipping the uh, the the Manchester United account book or, or the Tottenham Hotspur profit of, of last season or whether your team is in the European Super League of, of, of profit making and it had a point but it's it's a it's a reality of sport and football especially because it's probably the king of sports in in global terms that you can't escape um, the economic and financial impact of it and whether you you know the, the hero of my youth George Best um, we can George Best in the modern game wouldn't exist without these kinds of um, you know financial supports and that's just and you know just the way it is whether you like it or not. So to lead us into this show, and do tell us what you think of it, dear listeners, if you like it, or if you're bored rigid, do do let us know. We, we like to hear stuff, Ryan, don't we? We want to get some feedback on whether people like it or not. Oh, we love a bit of feedback. We do love a bit
1: of feedback. That the, um, yeah, no, the bit of user interaction, the the viewer interaction over <laughs> Scott Parker and the playoff final really did make my week. So the more <laughs> of it, the better.
0: So our first, our main article that I've, put forward for ryan's um to, to peruse on his commute into into work today is is from a, a sports professional media sportspromedia.com and it's considering um scenarios for sports and football of course our choice in what they're calling a post-covid world so what's sport going to look like going into the um the next phase of life once or if i've would ask um to everyone to consider if COVID becomes a thing of the past or it, it becomes something that is um you know part of life and containable in in the in, in the way that maybe other um diseases like influenza and the common cold have become. Um and it poses a series of um I suppose you call them scenarios really, Ryan, wouldn't you? That, as, as to possibilities for sports, you know, in this potential new world after COVID's gone away or not.
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's a really interesting time because this is, as a lot of the articles, as, as the, you know, the main article hints at a lot of time this is unusual to say the least. It's the only, the biggest thing to kind of affect, obviously the globe, but sport, you know, in this, in this in particular, since the war. Yep. And obviously that's a, as they, as they mentioned, it's a very different scenario that, you know, the, the, the war, Second World War obviously affects things globally on a, every single front of life whereas this won't have the same maybe long lasting effects but it will have a massive effect especially in the short term and you know even though football's kind of back on our screens and transfer windows open and and some like reporting around it is kind of getting back to usual you know the long the effects of covid on sport will be really long lasting the financial implications the fewer implications you know the things they're trialing now of crowd noise and how fans are interacting online you know that they you know they could even with the rules of the game with like the subs and the water breaks breaks. these are testing grounds really for a a sport in football that is half of it you know wants to keep things as they are not even as they are probably just you know reverting to a, a better age perhaps and half of it wants to drive forward into a brave new world you know for the for better or worse that's up to other people to decide really but yeah, it's it's interesting to see these scenarios that they've you know they've put forward as five you know I, I think it'll be a mix of all of them, but in yeah in no I'd agree with that yeah in no. isolation it's uh, it's interesting to you know have those scenarios laid out where a lot of people were thinking short term at the moment of how was it going to affect the start of next season rather than the next couple of years
0: yeah i mean the article i will stick a link in the show notes listeners and i keep promising to stick links in the show notes and then i don't do it but so i apologize but i will do that because it is an interesting read it's a long read i'll, I'll pre-warn anyone that clicks on this link it's um it, it's there's sub articles and, and so on and so forth but it kind of puts forward one two three four five main kind of um scenarios going forward and in very general terms i mean number one on this on this list. Is the idea that COVID will pass and that you can get back to um what should we call it? Normality, Ryan? You know, the yeah. old the old the old order, as they put it here. Um the, the old days of um you know, kind of tournaments where masses of people travel to locations and watch football or the Olympics or, you know, other sports, motorcycling, whatever, whatever your choice is that somehow this, this thing will, will pass and hopefully in 2021, there's going to be a sense that you can go back to normal. Um, and they have call that the, res, the restoration, the restored um, scenario, which opens a lot of questions because I don't think anyone's truly, a lot of this is speculation. No one's truly able to say that it will pass and that this um, era that we've just lost will come back in, in any short, you know, short order.
1: Yeah, the the restoration, you know, um, scenario that they've called it, it's very much, it struck me as very much the, it's kind of the assumed next phase, really, I think. Yeah. With sports on TV, like I was saying, it's very much hinting that, you know, Euros has been postponed, the Olympics have been postponed, things are getting underway in terms of leagues and everyone is, you know, keeping a, a brave face and carrying on. It's very much that, you know, sport will be restored to where it was. You know, they mentioned the, the 61 billion or so that the sports industry has lost. Lost, yeah. Yeah. They will, they, you know, this is the scenario in which that doesn't really matter. It's just a blip because of this, everyone will understand that. And we'll just get back to normal as soon as we can, which I thought was, you know, I think that is the kind of accepted rhetoric at the moment. You know, I think the, and that's what I was meaning in terms of that, you know, short-term view of, you know, you just assume, well, you know, this, this is, you know, people are going back to work pubs have opened back up, football's on TV, restaurants are everything. Yeah, Yeah, everyone thinks that, okay, this is a weird three months or so and we will just, you know, restore and resume, I guess, our everyday life, which, you know, that, that, well, depending on how you think things are at the moment, that's uh, either a positive or negative. But, you know, they mentioned the things about how, you know, the money that is tied into the game, the broadcast deals that Sky have, you know, it's not a year-on-year, that's a commitment for... I think till 2023 is the next time it comes up. So there's money already invested. And so this, obviously, scenario is the one to keep the people with skin in the game in the game. I mean, the the money is huge.
0: The money is huge. I mean, they're just, you know, the the restoration model, as they put it, which is to go back to normal, um, probably a much, much simpler way to think of it. Um, They quote a 10-figure value of uh, a phalanx of deals with broadcasters, sponsors. And service providers. Now, that would include football. That would include big-time sport like the Olympics, Formula One, um, all of the other North American sports, and, and and so on. Every every kind of sport that you can think of, um, with football probably at the head of it. Um, the sums are incredibly huge. So there's a huge kind of weight of um, interest
1: hmm.
0: on the part of the clubs, the leagues, the broadcasters, the sponsors, everyone involved in this. Um, you know. <laughs> In, in this, in this um, maelstrom to, to get back to normality and normality they're hoping will come in 2021 um, because, you know, I think there's probably an acceptance that we've got, not got much of 2020 to go now, but somehow that normality will be slowly but surely returning after after Christmas. I mean, we'll see, won't we? I mean, the idea of a World Cup at the moment, it seems a bit remote. Um, the European Championship is scheduled for next summertime. um we're hoping that people can travel <laughs> properly and like they can't really at the moment. It's, it's yeah. built on hope, uh, a hope for a return to the good old days, I suppose, in, in one way. But certainly the, the author of this article um, is, is quite bullish. Um, if you, um, it, and this is quite a crucial sentence, Ron, I don't know if you picked up on this, Is if you place an assumption on there being no sharp second peak or third or fourth of COVID, then the prospects for sport, big sport, generally, are pretty good. The profits will return quite fast.
1: Yeah, I think when when play was suspended, obviously back towards the end of March, globally, really, I think the, you know, there was a financial concerns about it, where people worried that clubs might not survive it. But there was a big emphasis that clubs, what they won't survive, they'll survive this. But what they won't survive would be a, you know, a second peak, you know, mm. coming out of lockdown and you know get to. Take- People off furlough and then it having to close down again—that's what would do clubs and businesses generally. But um, you know, everything, uh, hoping that it doesn't happen again. Then, yeah, this, this this article obviously suggests that everything will just carry on back to normal. And it's you look historically back at sport generally yeah, it's yeah. dealt with yeah. you know it, with war, dealt with financial recessions, Yep, yeah, yeah it's dealt it. with it before, you know, the financial crash. You know, and in, in the early two thousands or mid two thousands didn't affect football at all um you know there's been a lot of situations like that that really affect every aspect of life but sport seems to be you know immune to that and i think that is something that you know with the f- amount of finances that are in football it that's not why football stays afloat it stays afloat because of fo- football and sport generally it, it stays afloat because of interest in it and you know people's passion you know it matters presence, it matters yeah, to the it's a you know cliche that's thrown around a lot, but you don't support a supermarket brand for your whole life. No, in the way you would a football club. You know, you, you know brands and things like that. You know that that's a common word for football teams now. Their brand and their image, and but that's not why people commit to sport and commit to clubs. So, you know, as well as although there's a lot of money riding in football, the thing that really keeps it floating, keeps it driving, is you know the fans and the commitment that people have to it.
0: There's one sentence that amused me. I think we could probably do a little bit of amusement in this um, in this, this show. Um, the, in, this is the end of the restoration part. Um, it, it, it says that, um, you know, with, with the um, the upturn in the economy and the return to normality, the sports special spot in society will be reinforced through this period of absence. As opposed to people having moved on from sport, Ryan, and taken up different hobbies. I've got this. I mean, I know that Harry the other night. I don't know on our WhatsApp group. Harry said he's got into photography, and I thought, I wonder if there's like an army of people out there getting into, um, you know, not watching the football. They're going baking or um, you know pottery or something of that kind. I, I, I think sport just occupies this uh, <laughs> this place yeah, in think, our collective of consciousness, doesn't it? I think
1: the main hobby that you know that watching <laughs> sport and going to football matches. That other people have taken up would probably be watching old football matches. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably more. <laughs> the, and well, you know, with pubs pub closed, though, know, drinking indoors is the the new <laughs> hobby of the sports fan. I think, but uh, yeah, that that's exactly the point. You know, people who like sport don't drop it immediately because they no. can't. Do it. You know, it's it's there. It's on your TV. It's on your phone every day. It's you know on video games and things like that that people play. It's always at the forefront or at least the very periphery of your mind at any point in the day. So. Absolutely. As soon as it's back, people will latch onto it as you'd expect they would. You are listening to Achten Milwaukee.
0: The next scenario, so that that was the for listeners, that was the idea that everything's going to be restored back to normal um, from well the end of 2020 onwards, and um, we're going to get European Championships, we're going to get a World Cup, we'll get an Olympics, and all the other big events of. Um, and we had to go to them. We won't just have, have them on the TV behind closed doors. We actually be able to physically go to these events. So that's the restoration scenario. Next one I've picked up on is, uh, 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 they call it the retreat. So I've called it the Humpty Dumpty scenario because this is the idea that the COVID um, pandemic has been such an unusual event that on such a scale in such a, a different time that we live in now. That things can't be put back together again. I, I don't buy this idea of retreat. I think that um, I think there's too much money there's too many uh, too much interest in 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 sport returning to something like its old form. I think the main issue for me is not whether sport comes back or big sport comes back. It's it's how it comes back and whether fans can actually go and spectate on on the grand scale that we're used to. So the Humpty Dumpty scenario that they can't be put back together again is um, slightly flawed, um, in my opinion. I don't know if you had any thoughts on... on I can't stop calling it as the Humpty Dumpty scenario and I retreat. <laughs> it's,
1: it's probably a better name for it. I think <laughs> it is unlikely. It, the, the whole retreat thing... Um, yeah, you know, like we said before, people aren't going to just drop sport and finances aren't necessarily going to, you know, like you said, there'll be a dip in the transfer market and that. But once it... Gets back, you know, it will you know, you've had financial housing crashes before, and you know, house house prices always go back up. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's one of those scenarios. As long as there's a demand for it, it'll keep going. I think the one thing that you know, it might be unique to football, and might be unique to football in England especially, is that not not necessarily in terms of a retreat, but there might be a more of a division. I think created because yeah, because the super rich and the Premier League will survive without any problems but then it is lower down and it is you know a lot is made of England's unique you know footballing pyramid and things like that but it is a an issue where the clubs at the bottom it's such a vast network to sustain that without you know parity and without fairness you could see people really struggle and I think it's interesting you know you've seen over the last few days petitions going around to let National League sides reopen with fans small small yeah you know yeah. people a lot of people making the comments that you don't need to you know that they their grounds where social distancing is more than you know <laughs> capable and that you know why then shouldn't they be allowed back with spectators if you know people can go and watch Ronnie O'Sullivan at the Crucible last week um, yeah yeah so and and what what it seems to be driving it is that it's it's what the Premier League does we follow and I think the, there's definitely a sense of that. In the Championship, they, they wait throughout this whole pandemic. They've waited for the Premier League to make decisions before then aligning with it. And then there's that just division again that, you know, League One, Leagues 1 and 2 now have their salary cap, their self-imposed salary cap, and the Championship is still discussing it, not really likely to go with it. You've got the National League and the EFL being divided in terms of, you know, the EFL have basically given Macclesfield to the National League so they don't have to deal with them. And also they don't know if the National League will even be in play and if they will be allowed to relegate clubs to it. So you're seeing this pyramid that has so long, you know, been held up as a yeah. as a you know the jewel in the crown of English football is really starting to falter under pressure. That is, you know, it's faltering under pressure that's been driven by I guess greed of the Premier League mm. over the last twenty or so years. 30 or so years now nearly but um that that is the one aspect of the retreat you know nature they didn't necessarily mention in the article but i think that that could be seen especially you know in a in a system like in england i think it would be unique to the english system you know look at sports in america where they're they're closed shops where the finances are big but you know more controlled there are salary caps in place there are wealth distribution models in place but in england you know that yeah it's interesting i think what the fallout in england might be different and bigger, I think, to elsewhere around the world.
0: That's that's the Humpty Dumpty scenario. It can't be put back together again. Um, One of my notes to myself is that I find some people enjoy this um, idea. And it's like a hair shirt mentality that unless you're you're suffering in some way, it's not good for you. You know, I don't don't buy this. I think that um, the idea of of this is that um, short of war, things um, have a pattern of returning, but this covid disaster is so big it's on a scale of um only adolf hitler has has cancelled to cancel the olympics and now or kaiser i guess and now the um the you know the covid has so it's so big it's so special and i I don't buy that i think that no i think we're we're really talking about what format sport returns and then what format the money returns because it doesn't go away money it finds new ways through the system so Humpty Dumpty. I'm going to dismiss Humpty Dumpty. I don't, I don't buy that at all. Um, but touching on some of the things you've, you've mentioned Ryan, um, there's a, there's what I call a reset scenario and the headline sentence on that is that COVID-19, the shock of COVID-19 brings new organizations and new actors to the fore to re-examine how sport is run, creating different power structures and new ways of thinking. Um, Now, by that, I am reading that a a kind of a continuation of many of the big themes, certainly of football, um, of the last 20 years, where, you know, you've got the rise of clubs owned by um, states, oil states in the Middle East and um, other places too, um, wielding a disproportionate amount of money, a disproportionate amount of power. Think of Manchester City, obviously, uh, but there are others around around Europe, Um, and... You have this kind of um, position that's always been there a little bit, but is magnified in the modern football of clubs calling the shots to ruling bodies. The the you know UEFA being pushed around by Manchester City in the in the in the uh, the law courts recently. That kind of idea that uh, football is not controlled by itself; it's controlled by um, external external players with with way more money than you and I can imagine.
1: Yeah, I think. Under you know, in times of stress and pressure, I think you know the leaders kind of come to the fore. And I think what we've seen through COVID, especially, is you know the, the 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 structures that exist, and again, especially in England, aren't the strongest. The EFL and the Premier League, you know, they've they've dealt with things quite well, but there's other examples around to show where they could have dealt with things better. UEFA haven't necessarily been great. They you know they they're a bit slow in suspending the Champions League and the Europa League competitions um you know the the, the Atletico Liverpool game was really linked to a big spike in Covid in Liverpool yeah um and you had uh, the Sociedad who refused to go and play in Italy after they were locked down and UEFA refused to call it off yeah so there's a lot of you know yeah that that power struggles you know there's the, the, the ever-looming threat of the European Super League where like you say clubs are taking the initiative and have the power really against these institutions as as they stand. And it's, I think that football, I mean, personally, I think football in the next, I don't know, I wouldn't put a time on it, but it's heading for a reckoning, I think at some point, because the money in the game is getting so ludicrous that people will want to just take it for themselves you know there's the mentions i think later on in in a, a different article of you know the, the changing nature of broadcasts with the yeah yeah the over the top models and things like that but there's that power vacuum really that covid has kind of highlighted especially in football and there is scope for it to be given i, I would like to see or like taken even not given um i would like to see some you know, this could be a, a like a rebirth of fan activism that we haven't seen in England for a long time. You know, you see a lot of it in Germany of protests and banners and things like that. But, you know, yeah. fans in Germany have a good amount of pressure.
0: Starting so um, to see a little bit with the likes of, you know, Charlton obviously in, in trouble at the moment. We've seen a lot of um, widespread support for Berry when they went through their ultimately um, unsuccessful um, bid to try and remain a, you know, a viable club in the football league. We've seen it with Charlton, there are others around too. Um, fan activism in England always seems a bit more wishy-washy than what you see in Germany for some reason that, yeah. um, probably has more socio-political reasons than, than we're going to get to on, on our little sports podcast. But, um, certain they always seemed far more, um, united and committed to certain perspectives than you can, you know, when Newcastle fans thought that Saudi Arabia were going to buy them, the... It, <laughs> mention any mention of human rights in Saudi Arabia went out the window when they yeah. suddenly imagined like the next 100 million pound striker scoring the goals at St. James's Park. So, uh, you know, I, I, I take the point, in fact, this, this, this um, scenario here that they're calling the reset actually mentions the... Uh, the Generation Z, which I believe is you, Ryan, isn't it? Your Generation Z, and I'm a I'm a baby boomer, so I'm part of the problem in the in this this world. Um, being more activist, more angry, and 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 given to social change in a way that is um, probably historically seen as alien to um, the older fans and the older, you know, the, the people that run traditionally English football. Um, I'm not sure how much credence to give that. I mean, would you would you say that that's a factor?
1: Yeah, I think I don't know. I think I th- I think it's weird. It's in a a social media in like inspired bubble. I think this idea that you know yeah. people of a generation Z are really um, strong activists, angry, and more, yeah. Yeah, yeah, angrily motivated by things. I think they are maybe more forthright with opinions online, but then when it comes to action, we're probably just as lazy as any kind of young generation are. But because it, it, it's, it's a hard one to see how it will affect. And I think you're seeing in football, especially, that fans are becoming less and less powerful. Again, it's that division of wealth where, you know, as, as much as fans would like to protest things, you know, the Newcastle fans could have easily say say they went the other way and said, we don't want Saudi Arabia to take over our club. That really wouldn't even have here nor there about no it wouldn't have made a difference to anyone would it not no. at all if, if you know <laughs> if the Premier League had approved it straight away there could have been a mass swell of um <laughs> you know dispute about it and and it would have made a difference I mean even look at the current situation with Mike Ashley all it would take is for Newcastle fans to not go for a season and he'd be out the door but yeah, you know, and that, yeah. that is obviously a bit easier said than done you know especially like we we're saying before the connection people have with their club but in terms of, you know, if you feel that passionate about it and you hate people or you have such a strong opinion about something to that extent, then, you know, do something about it. But, uh, you know, and mass action is effective in football to an extent. But I don't know if the appetite is there for it. They mentioned in the, in the article about, you know, the Black Lives Matter pressure that was yeah. caused. And, you know, that, I think that he attribu- they attributed that to, you know, the Gen Z kind of more activism-based <laughs> generation. But really that... That was led by, especially in England, by a few captains of the, of the teams, you know, Wes Morgan, Troy Deeney and players like that. So that's not, you know, young, young kids saying that they need no, it. No, I no, mean, no. It's no. very much a reaction to the, the time. I think you saw it everywhere, like globally. There was a kind of...
0: You're a, seeing it on every major... Response. You know, corporate channel, Netflix, um, yeah, you know, Sky, it's, it's... Uh, you name it. Every, every, Ben and Jerry, you know, everyone now wants a slice of, of, of the action because they see money in it. And uh, yeah. yeah, I'm being cynical. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's just the truth of how these things things often. Mm. I, um,
1: one, one aspect of the the article that I thought was interesting, I wasn't sure how it necessarily fitted into the the reset scenario they were talking about. It was it was but was about the um the David Goldblatt article recently about climate change and how yeah well, sport globally is going to have to the difference
0: that's going to make tackle. to anybody you know
1: yeah, yeah. well that was because I, I remember i was reading that article and watching something about it last week or a couple of weeks ago when it came out about you know the the stadia in the, the netherlands and france and the uk that will be partially or entirely flooded every year by i think it was 2030 including the den which will apparently be flooded every year <laughs> um <laughs> Because of you know weather and storms like we're seeing now, you know, thirty five degrees a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah, it's uh it's a it's, a, it's a, something that I think needs to be looked at in sport and I'd I say life outside... generally. I don't know if it's a oh, sport. In life, I'd say it's a life but, thing. but if the percent Oh, 100%, underwater. oh <laughs> probably, yeah, you know. So's Burman. You, know, <laughs> you know, maybe uh maybe Yuri Skalack will thrive underwater <laughs> in twenty thirty, you never know, Nick. But um yeah it's an interesting point that's made is that the sport industry does kind of turn a blind eye to the the environmental impact it has not just on like clubs you know flying games flying to games up and down even within their own countries but you know fans going to travel and all things like this there's a very you know it's a complex thing that a lot of businesses will probably need to turn their eye to but the the idea that you know people will stop supporting clubs or fall out with the Premier League because they're not environmentally sustainable is hopeful but um can you imagine the environmental
0: environmentally friendly chance that we're going to get the den if there's any chance of flooding going on you know Um, yeah anyway um so linkedin there's a a, a, this kind of ties in with this general idea there's a there's maybe a realignment in the game that there may be um you know uh, new players um I think that's just a continuation of what we're seeing all around and have been for some time. Maybe it's been sped up a little bit by the impact of of the virus, which seems to have a, you know, sends ripples in all directions.
1: You're listening to After Noel.
0: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: The one that really caught my eye, the the scenario that really caught my eye, was what I termed refresh, Ryan, which is the – and this is an interesting one um, because it really does go into some – I think as an older fan, some uncomfortable areas in a way, and this is the idea that technology – uh, and fresh ideas. God help us from fresh ideas. But um, technology can change the delivery of live events, and we're seeing this at the moment, aren't we? The behind closed doors um, sport we see everywhere is part and parcel of the idea that you don't necessarily need to be at the stadium to to present sports. Um, I, I read somewhere there was an NBA team. I can't remember which one. Um, they've put up a wall of um, like a wall of screens, so their fans can. On a a mass Zoom call or something like it, be there with their team, and that's—I know that's in America. I know that's that's um, different kind of sports culture over there. But you can see how teams, clubs, leagues would love to drag us down this kind of road because a, it's money, but also there's a lot of costs uh, taken out if you can sell Zoom tickets rather than real tickets.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know, it's I don't think it's just a an older view but i think it's really concerning as well the things that the, the the you know this piece raises but that you've seen you know i think it is it looks like at the moment it's a temporary solution the mm. virtual you know the crowdless thing, um games broadcasts the fan noise and things like that but you know you can't help but not you know distrust the people at the powers that be the people at the top who are in charge of these things who like you say oh why don't we sell 500,000, you know, virtual Manchester United tickets rather yeah. than just filling yeah. out Old Trafford. And, yeah. you know, I think, I think this one really is at odds with what sport is about. And I think this is where looking at sport as a purely financial um, and entertainment exercise really falls apart for me because it isn't, as we've, as we've mentioned a few times before, you know, you'll know, you hear all the time on Sky, on the radio, wherever, that football is an entertainment industry which is just, it's just not, it's just simply not true. Sport, well, is en- sport is entertaining, but it is not an entertainment industry. It is not going to the theatre, it is not a cinema, it's not a film. It is a completely different beast to that. And I think selling it as just something to watch on the TV, kind of, you know, is a massive oversight of why people interact and enjoy sport.
0: See, so I, I take that point um, because... I think you and I and others that may be listening to this show might are unusual in that we actually do go to football. Um, Mm. We do, we do attend, we care about it on a regular weekly daily minute by minute basis. I think in some cases, my case possibly, Um, but you know, we, we, we go, you know, I think in a nutshell, you go to football. Um, How many people do you work with? And I'll ask any, listen to this show. How many people do you sit in the same room or used to sit in the same room perhaps, who talk about football as a tv experience that's you know you've met arsenal fans and never been to arsenal you know they watch it on the telly um the same for all the other clubs and i i think you know it's a consequence of the modern world and who's to say whether it's good or bad but it's it's certainly not the sport sporting experience that i grew up with you know yes. For me, you can't beat going to a game and actually being there. But for some people, that doesn't even arise as a thing they'd ever consider doing. They'll watch it on the telly. Of course. That's how it's delivered.
1: I think that is worrying for... And again, this is why I I disagree necessarily with the, the Gen Z kind of activism idea that they put forward in the other piece. But that is especially a younger way of interacting with football. You know, you hear all this time of, you know, people, younger people can't sit down for 90 minutes and watch a game of football. And, you know, that is... Because of it it's on T V but it's also because of, you know, the, the ticket the pricing yeah. tickets and that you economics play a part. Yeah, yeah, you can't you know, if if I was sixteen now, I wouldn't really be able to afford a, a middle season ticket for what it is. You know, when I was yeah. sixteen even, you know, not that long ago, um, I used to pay fifty quid for my season ticket um yeah. to go down, you know, and that's that's an absolute bargain. But now you just couldn't do it. I dread to think parents who are having to pay, you know, two, three hundred quid kid for a couple kids to go down with them. But um it's interesting you say. You know, you know, people who watch football as a viewing experience. I I recently read um a really good book by this guy John Nicholson um, called "Can We Have Our Football Back?" and it really kind of unpicks the notion that the Premier League is you know all encompassing and you know the most watched thing. I think he put he puts forward a lot of the viewing figures that they have, and it's unbelievably small for what you know. You like you say, you know, how many people watch football, but. How many of those people actually just the only football they watch is either on their phone or on match of the day? I think the Premier League gets a couple million viewers for its because um, well, it's on the sky game. sky
0: paywall, isn't it? I exactly,
1: mean, if... because paywall football in this country especially is not popular. Um it's told to people that it is, but I th- he did a comparison of the, the Women's World Cup semi final when England played um the USA last yeah. year. Yeah. It got it got 22 million views on the BBC, and yeah. that is you know almost ten times um, the highest viewing figures of any Premier League match ever on Sky, and that's you know really telling that the football that people can watch that is free will always always get more viewers than one behind a paywall. So I think the the people in charge of this you know paywall TV and things like that are in a bit of a bubble where they kind of overegg their own importance and their own reach. So, you know driving towards that end and charging people more and more and more to watch this t v experience, I think we just isolate more people
0: it, it excludes people i mean I, I you know as as you know i'm a little bit of a cricket fan <clears throat> um, and I, the reason I 'm a cricket fan is because when I was a kid and there' was nothing else to watch during the daytime, often mm-hmm. especially school holidays, there was cricket on the telly, and so you put the t v on and, and and slowly but surely you become. Um, you learn the nuances of the game, and 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 you know, uh, boredom probably played a big part in this because you know, or mm. uh, you know, if, if you're bored, you'll find creative ways to fill your time. If you're yeah. you've got a million one channels to to follow, yeah, well, you probably wouldn't pick up,
1: no, test of course. But, but but cricket and um and boxing as well are two really good examples of that. That two sports that transition to go behind a paywall, obviously, neither as popular as football. but really suffer from it boxing now is nowhere near as popular as no it no. used to be you know boxers used to be household names that everyone would see a fight big fights before you know even before i was born of, of you know big fights that i would even hear about or have seen yeah. bits of but now it's just so you know unless you fancy going out at 2 a.m in a a horrible like a walkabout somewhere <laughs> you, you know very unlikely to be paying 30 quid to watch a boxing match and I've, i know very few people who do i mean case in point for me recently has been trying to watch this this champions league and you know the the, the rounds of games that are on every other night on, on
0: bt yeah BT, and it's. Yeah.
1: i mean you know i don't have bt i don't know anyone who does have bt i know that um you know the, the viewing figures for the Champions League in the UK are at an all-time low. The reason we don't really regard it as that important in England anymore is because no one can watch it. No one watches. No, and no. BT, are, I think, are considering you know, stopping broadcasting football altogether because they just aren't making any money from it. But, you know, so I'm, I'm fanning around trying to find different streams and, you know, my internet isn't running quick enough or the, the website gets closed down halfway through the match and it's just unbelievably frustrating. Whereas before... I would just turn on ITV yeah. and, and there would be a Champions League match on and it'd be brilliant. I remember watching, you know, Liverpool's comeback against AC Milan, you know, all these top, like, amazing games of football that are just not accessible anymore. So so the idea that sports broadcasting will be changed by the pandemic because, you know, they realise they can maybe get more of a view, you know, more viewers online, you know, it, obviously... They, they think you can get more now because people aren't allowed in the stands and people aren't allowed in the stadiums. And I hope they don't kid themselves that they've, they're onto a winner here and no. just make it less accessible for everyone.
0: I can see iFollow getting a few quid next season because I can't see us getting much in the way of away travel or well, people getting into the den. Well, so even with the
1: I follow, you know, you see they've you know, they put the fees up this year again. Yeah, And that's, you know, that it's been, I think, it's pretty much the same cost, however many years now it's been running. And all of a sudden, because they know a few more people are going to have to watch it, they stick the price up. And that's, you know, that that's I think just typical of the, of the, of the time, really.
0: Absolutely. So there we are. That's the refresh model. That's the idea that COVID has um, catapulted us into twenty twenty three. Some I can't. I didn't note down who said that, but some media techie type said it's catapulted us into twenty twenty three. Meaning that technology will supply us sports in new ways, but you've got to pay for it, Um, which is the um, which is the hook that Ryan. The big caveat. That's described so so well there. Um, There we are. I think we'll whip through the other in other news because that's I think we've covered that article in some depth there now, Ryan. So you are listening to Actual
1: Normal.
0: Um, in other news, Leeds United, Premier League, Leeds United, Ryan, have done a new deal for their shirts with um, Adidas. And they've got a nice new, brand new online gambling company all over the front of it. Um, what else do you want when you get into the Premier League?
1: Yeah, that is that is grabbing the Premier League with both hands, isn't it? I think <laughs> Saudi investment will be next on the list. You know, um, match fixing, will be, that'll be right around the corner. Yeah, no, it, it's, you know, it's... Uh, Leeds are hot property going into the Premier League. You know, they'll get. You see the current coverage they got in the EFL. That'll yeah. be, you know, two or threefold in the Premier League now. It's a they've got a good global reach, so we're told. Um, so these companies are obviously willing to pay. They added us deal. You know, for, for Leeds it was record breaking. You know, five year
0: kit deal with Adidas. Yeah, it? you know,
1: it would be record breaking. You know, obviously they wouldn't be getting as much in the Championship over the last sixteen years, but. It's you know they're 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 a big prospect coming into that league and big well positioned commercially than you know in the likes of Huddersfield and Brighton and and Bournemouth and teams like that who've gone up recently even Aston Villa to an extent
0: you yeah. know
1: they've because of the story they've had behind them and their know, name
0: a- and their name and history I mean Leeds United leave aside all the uh, you know the the uh, the the Millwall joshing and banter I mean they are a name from the seventies they do have some historical residents and for them to be back in the premier league um is a big deal so they signed a five-year kit deal with adidas a mm-hmm. record-breaking shirt sponsor. with a company i've never heard of this company listeners sbo no. top. <laughs> well, they, HBO top um and i love these details either it's the details that fascinate me right i don't know why but um they're the, that's going to be on their shirt front and the I isle of man parent company which is called something else is going to be on their training wear. i mean why you do that i don't know but um <clears throat> there we are well, something else that fascinated me and i didn't realize is that um the San Francisco 49ers the, the NFL so I'd own the 10% slice of Leeds United I, I never knew that that's fascinating isn't it mm.
1: yeah that is that reaching across the uh, yeah the Atlantic I think there's you know been a bit of small US investment there's I think the you know the Glazers where Man United obviously own a, a football club
0: Liverpool are they their tie in the Boston Reds
1: yeah Liverpool yeah. do as well I think even LeBron James the, the basketball player has a stake yeah. in Liverpool I think maybe 10% or less um we said Stan Kroenke at Arsenal yeah. has, um, he he owns an American football club as well. So, you know, there's a there's that there is that big reach, and I think you know that link with the 49ers, you know, whether or not it's much of a link, but it, it's it's American businessmen who know how to run sporting businesses. I think it's they they have a good they have a savvy, you know, that has been shown like FSG Group at Liverpool. American investors, I mean, even John Berrelson at Millwall. They, they have a good sport. God bless him. God bless him. God bless him. I think one of the best owners, um, especially in Absolutely. the championship, although, Absolutely. although it's Absolutely. not, a, you know, it's not a thing, it's not a hard thing to be at the top of in that, but no. yeah, these American investors know what they're doing when it comes to sport. I think
0: the FA listeners and BT, FA and BT have launched a new um, course, FA Playmaker. This is to boost, this is quite a nice little story to boost volunteers in grassroots football. It's, um, it's like an app, I think given an entry level football course to inspire volunteers to get involved in the grassroots game. That's got to be a good thing designed for uh, mums who take their daughters or if you're getting together a group of of mates at school, college or university or whatever you're doing, it gives you some tools to improve your weekly football experiences. It's a course for everyone, say the FA Um, I'll stick a link on, on the show notes as I keep saying um, if you're after that, I mean, it's that. I had a quick look at that. It Looks like quite a nice little app, quite a nice little course there, Ryan.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't hate, don't like to be the the harbinger of doom, or you know, the the eternal pessimist. Don't let but, me stop you. But you know, I think I, I'm not sure. I think it 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 does look nice, and I think it is a good idea for get to get people more involved. You know, the more that there is, the better. Yeah. yeah. But you know, it's 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 very much, I think, lip service to. grassroots level that you know is the fa's responsible the fa you know over the recent last few years you see the dealings with the efl and the premier league going on at the moment the fa is silent because effectively a few years ago they washed their hands of club football in england so they have two responsibilities which is the england national team and obviously youth setup and grassroots football and as it stands they only seem to have one interest which is the england national team with little to no interest in grassroots football it's being torn apart part really i mean i don't know when the last time you kicked a ball in anger was nick but um did me you back know, in. It, <laughs> there you go it's it's not um it's not easy anymore to know his name it's not it's no. not easy to find a team to have matches that aren't called off i think you know 30 percent of foot, every grassroots league matches called off now because of bad pitches and um facilities which you know i think it is more like Governmental issue as well, but the FA have a big responsibility in that. And I think something that's arisen over the last few weeks, I guess, with, the, with how the Champions League's gone, has um, shone a bit of a light on um, football in England. In the, in the sense that the the Champions League has four German coaches in the semi-finals, and I think it's the first time in history that three three sorry three of the four coaches are um, from one nation. So yep. you've got Thomas Tuchel at PSG, Julian um, Nagelsmann at RB Leipzig. And obviously, um Flick Flickert by Munich. And obviously, that doesn't include Jürgen Klopp, who at the moment is you know arguably the best coach in the world. And a lot of people go on about German coaching and German accessibility to coaching. I think they have more coaches than anyone in Europe, especially. Their courses are cheap, accessible, and encouraged. And I think the in the FA in England, a lot of the feedback people give all the time is that. The coaching courses in England are just unbelievably prohibitive through their price. If anyone wants to go above an FA two or three badge, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of pounds of outlay, and it's no wonder in England why the the main coaches you go through have to be ex players. Because if you wanted to work your way up, it's so costly and you know so it it's time consuming and it's really hard for anyone who wants to be involved in grassroots to really progress up. So. That's, I think that is prohibitive to people at the moment. It's great to get people to volunteer, but yeah. ideally you want people to buy into it as a as a career. You know, people could, if you made the the coaching badges and, and courses cheaper, um, and more people would be involved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. accessible. You know, the more coaches you have, it, it it's a pretty well documented um, statistic where the more coaches you have, the more people you have playing the game. Um, in Germany and and in, in Spain as well, where they have quite a high number of coaches, more people play the game um comparatively and that's one of the problems where you know you can have you can be at school and you can have 15 mates who want to play football but you know if if legally you need an adult to take care of you and coach you and it's 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 hard so I think this is a step in the right direction I think especially pairing with BT it, it does strike me a bit of the um the old you know yeah, the, the, old, uh, the, old the old lip service washing
0: washing uh sports yeah washing or whatever you but like hopefully you know, washing, it's, you know I mean?
1: hopefully it's a, <laughs> yeah not sports wash let's not get, <laughs> let's not get into that <laughs> one
0: <laughs> we're back to Newcastle again new cars again
1: full circle but no it's, it's so it's i think it's, it is a positive thing um you know you can't criticize them for doing something good but you know it, it's it's not enough that we should be demanding from our the football association, as they like to remind people that they are the football.
0: Yeah, and just to close us on the, the s- a similar subject, Chelsea FC. Who, who knew that Chelsea FC has a its own digital ventures company? I didn't know that. I don't know. Mill don't have a digital ventures company, Ryan, but Chelsea do, and they've launched a coaching app to. Get your local team, your local boys' club to play an elite level like Chelsea Football Club do. I bet you have to pay quite a few quid for that. App. <laughs> I don't I? Didn't check how much it was to buy it. I can't imagine giving it away for nothing. But um, there we are. So that's the Chelsea FC Academy's perfect play coaching app to further its brand. There's that word again, Ryan. Brand.
1: Mm, that and that's that's the uh, how it is. You know, Chelsea could, like you say, it might it might be a costly app. They, they could do more community work, things like that, but. No, anything that enhances the brand for Premier League club is a massive tick in the, uh, the commercial department's exercise. You know, so more more strengths to them, and more more apps and and schemes and programs, you know, as they like to call them. And anything to lift the brand is is always a step in the right direction in these financial times.
0: Absolutely, the dark the dark voice of Ryan Loftus, the harbinger of doom, closes out this. First and rather experimental episode of Acton's Wide World of Sports. I've, I've lifted that from the old cricket coverage in Australia. These Channel Nine's Wide World of Sports, and it always stuck in my head. So I thought I might use that title. Um, thank you to Ryan Loftus for covering this. This is quite an extensive show, actually. I thought I said when I said to Ryan, "Shall we do it?" I had in mind about twenty minutes. I think we've been going for a good hour or so now so um that's 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 good um nothing worse than not having anything to talk about (laughs) there you go it it always
1: is the way we always plan to keep them short listeners but um (laughs) it's hard
0: so we'll give this a go we'll give give it a try again on our next um on on our next news i'll I'll keep an eye out for some stories let us know what you think of the show listeners um want to hear from you a big thank you to ryan get in touch with us 0208-144-0232 208 a voicemail message I don't answer the phone listeners you don't speak to me you speak to an answering machine or you can email us hachdungmill at gmail.com thank you Ryan thank you for sharing your time tonight
1: absolute pleasure always good to chat football and more with your good self Nick
0: I've been Drew there we are Dirty Millwall bye for, right, for now
1: Even his name to Aston Mural.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a TV review. Hello to Action Mural. Till you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.